Welcome back to the Tabernacle Podcast. My name is Ben Brown, and with me today we have Tim Burgess. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing well, Ben. Hey, thanks, thanks for being here. Thanks and for having me. We also have with us today, once again, uh, Joe Kelly, our friend, uh, who's been hanging around the Tabernacle for a little while, marveling at the whatever this is. Marveling. <laughs> Marveling. <laughs> and actually today, over uh, running the computer, uh, producing for us, we have Matt Hughes, Matt Guitar Hughes. Uh, and Matt, that intro music, is that more that you wrote? I'm going to embarrass you. Um, yes, I did write that. Yes. Matt, so that did, all of that Matt, is Matt, Matt. did you perform that as well? I performed it. Wow. Um, I programmed the drums. Those are fake. But guitar, bass, all the rest of the stuff is I actually played. Yeah. You're amazing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Thank you for doing that, Matt. Uh, just got to give everybody a little, all of this stuff that happens here. There is somebody behind it, and most of the time uh, there's a lot of people that you don't hear their voices, you don't see what they're doing, uh, and uh, that is actually quite applicable to life. But in any regard, um, we're back here for part two. Uh, of what we're calling Joe Kelly's uh, life story, for lack of a better term, just uh, getting to know him a little bit. Uh, if you didn't hear the first part, we invite you to go back in the archives, find that. Uh, it should probably be last week's if you're listening. I'm not sure how we're dropping these, but... Yeah, I'm not sure. Not I, I, I know the it. last one did come out. I don't know if it's 82 or 83, something like that. And then when I think we messed up the numbers on them all anyway. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. Just go back, find something that says Joe Kelly, listen to that one first, and mm -hmm. then that'll give you the beginning of the story. Um, but with many of these, there's there's more than we're going to fit into a, an hour and a half. And uh, so, yeah, we wanted to invite Joe back and uh, just continue on with his story uh, from the mean streets of, was it? Philly or Pittsburgh? I'm sorry. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. That's right. And the, growing up on the streets of Pittsburgh. Are, are you, Joe, a sports fan? Were you ever a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Just curious. I uh, would not have guessed that. Mm -hmm. See? I, we were talking about stereotypes before, and I would not oh. have guessed that Joe Kelly was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan at one oh, point. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. They were. But in those days, you could walk by the stadium and meet them on the street, you know, when I was growing up. You know, uh, can I give a real fast sidebar? Uh, my friend and I were traveling to meet John. Uh, we were going to meet up with John at uh, the military academy, Na Naval Academy. Uh, and so my friend and I are traveling there. John flew first class probably. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we stopped in Pittsburgh uh, for our first night. Uh, and we ended up going downtown. I had never been there, you know, just had seen steel, right? And and uh, Pittsburgh with their yellow towels waving every time they'd pound on the Lions, uh, if they ever played. But uh, downtown was amazing. And to see the stadiums that close to each other. Um, and then, you know, we, we went to uh, Pittsburgh Stadium. I don't know what it's called, but Heinz Field it was, yeah. And... We just walked up to it, and the doors open. There's a couple of security guards. Um, there was uh, two black ladies and a black man as security. And we walk up, and we've got black T-shirts on that have uh, crossed on the front six shooters, 
and it below it it says defend your faith and they stopped us because of the shirts and this lady goes all right you're gonna need to explain that shirt before we let you in and i said he designed the shirt you're gonna ask him so gary got us in right so we're, we're just hoping to walk around turns out they were filming um and they had uh a linebacker and a receiver and one other guy and they're doing this show that they did almost every week they're filming it and there's bleachers a little small bleacher probably would sit about 100 people so gary and i go in and sit down we realized we were the only guys that it was a show about cooking oh. and it was all of these women in there that were absolutely in love with these players and it was we stayed for the whole thing but it was really awkward so that was my pittsburgh experience so I'm sorry. I got way off track because I want to get back to Joe. Let's get back to Joe. Let's get back to Joe, Tim. You've got uh, some more questions that you wanted to ask Joe, so I'm going to let you take the lead on this. Okay. Um, Joe, uh, I've I've got written here uh, at the very top of my notes is, you know, my desire is wanting people to know you kind of like I know you. Um, And uh, I think we were successful in our last one. And you had said something probably – half hour in that I kept trying to get back to, um, but we never made it. And you were talking about finding God uh, and worship, and and you mentioned that it could be anywhere, that it didn't have to be in a building. Um, And I know a lot of uh, people, when I share that with them, struggle with that concept. What what does that mean? So do you remember at all talking about that? (laughs) Well, I don't remember the context we started. Yeah, I don't remember I, that either. But, but I, I remember making the statement. It's mm-hmm. it's something that I have believed for many, many years. And that, uh, that in my understanding of, of God is that whatever God is, God created it all and is present in it all. And so we are capable, uh, if we choose, to meet and experience God anywhere and everywhere. And, and that it's not limited to, of course, Sunday mornings or Saturday evenings, as the case may be in Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, it's available in the in the orchards, on the beaches, in the factories, in the jails and prisons. Um, it's a, it's more a matter of our attitude and our willingness. Um, and I b- believe that's real. Yeah, that you know I I was really glad that you said that. Um. Because that's something that uh, my eyes were open to that more when I began to explore the concept of God through AA rather than a definitive God of the Bible. Um, and because I was very rebellious and uh, I just wanted to – I wanted the church just to go away. I, I didn't – you know, but it was so formulated in my brain that it was always going to exist no matter what. Um and I had some mentors, some some sponsors through AA that really helped me find uh, that picture of God. 
And I didn't know for the longest time that you could find God outside of the Bible context. Now, I believe Scripture is inerrant, incredible, uh, will give us what we need. But I wasn't ready for that. I needed something else. And finding God outside, uh, I took that literally. So you mentioned the orchards. Mm-hmm. So where would you seek God in the orchards? Oh, on a regular basis, I would just sort of walk 10 steps from where I was working and, and talk to God and feel connected. That was how it started for me. Um, and so I'm glad you explained that in terms of your view and understanding, because that makes a lot of things make sense. Uh-huh. Um, because I started outside the church, having had virtually very little to do with the church ever, and came into the church as an experiment. And, and quite frankly, I never have let go of having at least one hand outside the church because I find it difficult to trust the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but God is not in our—is bigger than our organizations. And it's not that there's something wrong with the organizations. It's just it's bigger than. And that um, I don't let any organization dictate to me right or wrong in terms of my spirituality. So has that um, ever led you to disagreements? Constantly. Okay. Although it, it, it certainly has led me to many, 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 many differences with people. But I have learned that I don't particularly need to disagree. I can just be okay being different. And that's really important to me. Um, You know, ultimately, I believe that if Jesus—now, I'm going to say this, but recognize I also believe that Jesus walks the earth today in every person who is acting lovingly towards other human beings on the earth today. And so for me— When a church, any organization, religious organization, says we are the body of Christ, yeah, but the body of Christ, I think, is bigger than that, than the organization, that the body of Christ includes every person on the face of the earth at that moment (coughs) that is behaving towards other human beings the way Jesus would behave. And that is love. Um, You know, the words from the Gospel of John and the letter of John sing in my head and in my heart. And so, so that means that I take virtually everything the organization says with a grain of salt. 
Is that fair? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that's, that, that's that's more than fair. That's. Did you have? Do you want to weigh in on that, Ben? I'm just taking this all in. Okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. great. Um, <clears throat> I just jotted down here in my notepad just that concept of being okay, being different, and that's when my phone's going to ring. Sure. Sure. Recording a podcast, Seth. <laughs> I will get back with you later. Um, yeah, that concept of being okay, being different, um, and being okay disagreeing or being okay. Uh, how did you say that? Um, it wasn't about, no, I need to be right or I need to prove you wrong. Um, Which is because I believe that that really is the message of Jesus. Okay? Is that we are all. I mean, this is my view. Yeah. Okay. We are all loved by God the Creator. All. If we recognize that and allow that to fuel our drive and our purpose, and we share that with others then we're recognizing it. We get the benefit of recognizing we're there. But we're loved whether we have faith or not. We're loved whether, what, regardless of what religion we're a part of. So, so where do you think um, some types of Christianity will, or maybe not Christianity, that there's a perception about Christians and God from uh, a, a typically non-believing person out there, uh, that God hates them, that there's a hate. I mean, I, I understand God hates sin. He hates, you know, it, it, it. and for me, that's easy to look at, like, with my kids. Uh, yeah, you disobeyed, and you did this. I really hate that. Um, but the love doesn't change, right? So we're, do you think that we've helped propagate that as, as, a, as an organization? Well, I think our organizations have a tendency to do that. I think we have a natural tendency to do that. If you're one of us, like we were talking about before, if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan or a whatever team you're for, then you're part of the good people. And everybody else is less than. That's ridiculous. On the face of it, it's ridiculous. But it's a common thing. It's a common thing for us and, and taught throughout our society. If you're American, you're somehow superior to everybody else on the face of the earth who somehow had the sad, sad luck of being born into some second-class country, which mm -hmm. that's part of the problem. That, that, that's probably one of the main problems in our earth is that we can't work together because there's all these things that block us. And so people hear us say, join us and be saved. Well, wait, why do I need to be saved? And we don't do a very good job of explaining that. Mm -hmm. You know, 
if you believe in Jesus, then you will go to heaven. Wait. I thought God created us all. Yeah. And it's a... We're careless with our language. And we lose the concepts. You know, the depth of the concept. The... You know, there are people on the earth who just can't feel it, can't see it, can't understand it. They're still loved. And if they're not loved by us, then we're not doing what we say we are set out to do. So, oh, that's the hard part. Well, it is the hard part. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about fans, I was thinking... uh, uh, Heidi and I had a chance to go to a World Series game um, way back in the day, and uh, the Tigers were playing the Padres, and we lived in Yuma, um, and her boss had Padres tickets. And so it, being Detroit fans, we show up in our Detroit gear, you know, <laughs> minimal. Um, and uh, walking in was a little strange. Walking out felt dangerous, mm-hmm. um, and simply because of our jerseys. and. <laughs> You know, it was overwhelmingly Padres fans. It was in San Diego, right? Um, and I had never put those two together till right now. It's like, yeah, you're right. Just this is my flag. And, you know, we want to be loyal to our flag, you know, depending on the circumstance, if it's appropriate. Um, so one of the things I know that we've tried really hard uh, from a leadership perspective is, is a high level of accountability um, and a high level of conflict is, is sometimes uh, if a meeting doesn't have conflict, it's not a good meeting. I'm talking <laughs> about leadership meeting. Um, and that means because there's differing opinions, varying ideas. It doesn't mean that we don't like each other. Uh, in fact, really what it says, we love each other. Um, in order for us to keep that at the forefront, the danger always is power. Um, you know, money is yeah, I, I guess, you know, there's been a lot of theft in churches as well. Um, but it, that dangerous power. Uh, and that power seems to amplify uh, exactly what Jesus doesn't want us to teach. Um, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Um, and, and that's a constant danger. You know, if you think of John, our lead pastor, pastor uh, there's really— He's set himself up with such great accountability. Um, he's not a perfect man. Um, I've watched him fail. I've watched him succeed. Uh, but there's a childlikeness um, about him at times that I am enamored with because he has the speaking gifts to have a big head. Um, and I know Darcy does a great job of, of helping him you know, maintain that as well. But But so do we. He's just a guy. Now, we do love his talent, and he is gifted without a doubt. Uh, but that top leadership down is how Jesus taught, right? He did, and then, I mean, that's how he led, he did. Uh, and we're blessed to have, John is not Jesus, but we're blessed to have somebody who's emulating that here. And mm-hmm. I think that it's filtered down a lot. But I'm always worried about the danger 
of us speaking too much Christianese, um, taking the cookies and putting them on the top shelf. And you hit the nail on the head when you said, um, we don't always do a good job of explaining to somebody why they need to be saved. Um, There's just an assumption that they know that, that they're lost. And they may not even feel lost. I mean, it doesn't always have to be a crisis to meet Jesus. I mean, it helps sometimes. But how do we communicate better without beating somebody over the head with Scripture? Well, maybe. I don't have the answer to that, but maybe. I was counting on you having the answer. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't have very many answers. I have a lot of questions. Good. That's Um, Maybe we look at the language and realize that our language is not always helpful or the language choices we make. Mm-hmm. And maybe the idea of lost and saved needs to be explored and, and be used more carefully. We all know people, all of us know people who don't have anything to do with the church, but who live their life in a way that emulates Jesus. Usually, in my experience, those are people who were turned off by the church when they were children and have never gone back. But somehow the principles of Jesus come through their behavior. Or some of those people actually are in other religions. And when you're around them, you sort of know. They kind of glow, you know, with the spiritual light but have a whole nother framework. Do they need to be saved? I mean, you know, ah, these are tricky questions. They are, and I've always been grateful. Um, you know, I can remember talking with my dad and him saying, I'm really grateful I'm not the judge of that. Yeah, um, I, that's a great know, answer. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the people that I've admired uh, – is C.S. Lewis, and he has a number of books out there. Like I, I've had uh, Mere Christianity sat on a windowsill next in our bathroom um, for years, and, and I've read through it. Um, I can't read more than two paragraphs without getting confused, It's and it's utterly brilliant, um, but I really struggle with it. But he wrote the Narnia series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got that on audio. I've got. I've read all of the books many times. My kids, you know, I just love those stories. But there's one in particular that he's. Uh, there's a big battle that's happened, and uh, Aslan, the good guys, win, and the bad guys need to go into a tent, into this darkened tent where Aslan is sitting, and it's a kind of a judgment scene, and uh, a number of people would walk in. The dwarves, in particular. And it would be a, a battle. It would be a, there. you know, you're just this horrible lion. You're going to eat us. And that's all they could see. Um, and then there was one guy who worshipped the other god. And his name was Tash, was the other god. Um, and he's a warrior of renown. Um, 
But the beauty is, is he's got a spirit in him that's different. And he's humble before God. And he said, but I didn't follow you. Um, and, and, but I tried to do good. And his response was, you didn't do good in the name of Tash. Even though that's what you said out loud, you cannot do good worshiping evil. You were doing good for me. And I mean, I, I remember reading that as a youngster going, that's not what I heard from the pulpit mm-hmm. because it says you need to claim Jesus Christ. And it, what it did was it, it – I don't think it's a theological uh, discussion that he's having. I think it's a message of the heart. And that kind of goes to what you're saying. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that all Buddhists are saved or all – you know, I don't think it's Jesus and. Um, I think Christianity is very specific about that. Uh, but it also comes to question, in, in my mind, there's certain things that have been formulated. Uh, repent and be baptized. Um, and we've put that in such a narrow volume of what that actually means. Um, and I think that those of us that grew up in the church, that's really hard to broaden that picture because we were taught – there's one way, this is it, and it has to look like this. And I'm not saying that there isn't one way, but I am questioning what does it look like, right? Does it, does that, you, you, did you read that bit of yes. Lewis yes. and you know what I'm talking yes. about? Yes, I, I thought you explained it very well. Okay. Um, but also these are things you and I are not necessarily going to agree on, where we're going to be, we're going to be different yeah. on. yeah. Because I do think that there is one way, and it has a particular name to it, is part of the problem. And I think it's part of what I'm going to call the corporate message. And unfortunately, I think human beings are—we would like the answer to be clear and easy and quick. Or cheap, or not take a lot of effort. Um, I think idea the idea that Jesus one when from my reading of the Bible, I think the idea that Jesus was teaching that you have to follow Jesus is a misreading of the Bible that has grown over the centuries that what Jesus was talking about was a relationship with God that was vital and meaningful and real and living and human and divine you know that that crosses those boundaries all those boundaries that we put up which makes us feel kind of special and arrived as opposed to actually practicing the behaviors of loving our neighbors and the even stranger ones around the world who are different from us and think differently. Um, I think that's what we're really required 
to do. And when we do other than that, we sort of go off on an easier tangent that's sort of easier to be in. Um, and I think people like C.S. Lewis got it, sort of. But that's, that's the human condition. We get it, sort of. Yeah. You know? The, well. I think that ultimately our need to feel like we have it right is the trap, the spiritual trap. Mm-hmm. You know, we have it right and other people have it wrong. Um, there's only the wrong. <laughs> you know, and we're all in it together. I, you just reminded me of uh, Heidi telling me about help, you know, raising our kids. Um, <laughs> And uh, being able to say to them when they would become teenagers and and be uh, maybe disrespectful and, you know, stretching Mm -hmm. the boundary, checking the fences. uh, And she would look at them and say, you could be right. And that would end arguments, which is amazing. Um, In in her her head, she's going, you're crazy. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Um, But rather than escalating. And that's taught me a lot about having convo. Um, with people of different faith or to people who maybe mm-hmm. choose not to believe. Um, I, I, I have a problem with people say they believe in nothing. Um, uh, I don't think that's true. Um, well, in, neither in, do I. In, in my experience, that there's something greater than ourselves. Um, and I used to ask my dad questions when I was younger, and it's like, well, what about the little tribe in the Amazon that's never, you know, I was trying to trick my dad, I was being a little Pharisee, you know, like, what? What about them? They go to hell. And, and God said, no, they'll know by nature um, that there's something bigger than themselves. And it won't be a plane flying over. It will be just nature happening, the world happening. God will make himself evident that there's something greater than them. Mm-hmm. They'll see the stars. I'm like, oh. <coughs> so that person never proclaimed Jesus as my personal savior, which I'm not against at all, um, because I think that there's a firmness that happens there. Uh, the one thing is, I believe, in order for you to actually believe in what you said, Joe, is uh, live it, is understanding that um, there's something greater than me, and I need to be humble before that, um, that all of my efforts, my personal efforts, really have done probably more damage than good. Um, and Jesus says... Uh, you know, there, you, you didn't even know what love was until I showed you. Um, and there comes a point where I think a decision as an adult, however, whatever age that is, the age of reason, we need to make that decision um, that there's something greater than us, that I really am struggling with this love concept. I know it feels really good. I know I really desire it to be loved. Um, and now I'm on a journey to seek what it is because that's been one of the human uh, forays into finding truth is how many books are written about love stories and how many movies, you know, and, and it's a continual question. And I still haven't found one other than scripture that says this is what love really is. It has nothing to do with uh, sex or um, it has nothing to do with boundaries of any type, it has to do with this human condition that I feel really lost and I feel feel really alone. 
um, the last episode, I had said one of the strategic moments in my life that was really important you provided, Joe, by me asking the question, what in the world is wrong with me? And you looking at me uh, and and telling me truth, there is nothing wrong with you. Uh, that was a moment of love um, because there was assurance in it, right? Uh, I still think that we need to atone somehow for the damage possible that, that we can create, right? And I can't do that completely um, because I can't repair the past all the way. I can own it. And all I can do is go, okay, I've been given this breath this day, and I'm moving forward. Um, now that I'm moving forward, what is my day going to be? Where am I going to where, – where is love going to be evident for me? Not where am I going to see it for me, but where is I have the opportunity to give it away? Um, does that make sense to you? It does. Good, because I, I don't say this type of stuff a lot because there's there's a narrative that I truly believe that, that when I'm preaching, um, I'm, I'm going to be very succinct. Uh, I've got very little time to talk to groups of people. This is more like bros sitting around having a uh, cigar and a cup of coffee going, am I crazy, Joe? Um, ben, you know. Well, but I think, but I think that if we preached less and sat around having coffee more, the world would be better off. Amen. And have, and instead of driving the divisions mm-hmm. higher and stronger, uh, would begin taking down the divisions in the same way that's happening here right now. Like I feel closer to you guys today than I ever have. And isn't that weird? You know, because we're all different. But we really aren't as different. When our motive is to listen, consider, what can we cooperate on? You know, what? It's... It's an amazing, amazing process that doesn't automatically translate into the corporate world. Well, I I just finished reading a book about the church in England uh, starting like in the late 1800s, coming up through mid-1900s, even into about the 1970s and 80s. And there was a division that happened. Um, and so there's this comment or this uh, a concept, I believe it's pronounced ecumenicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so co- cooperation between peoples of varying faiths. And the big disagreement was how much can the evangelical uh, church work with the Roman Catholics at the time. Um, and then there was all these different sects. And it, it turned into quite a thing. Um, and there were some hardliners that said, no, it's – it's," and they kept narrowing down who was going to be accepted into this certain association, association of churches. And there needed to be a firm line in the sand that we cannot work together on things because of these different views of the sacraments and 
Um, it really, and I don't know where I'm going with that other than division. It was just more division, more division, more division. And the question that it brought up in my mind, and I don't have the answer for this, this is the stuff I sit around and ponder on, was <clears throat> where is the line where we stand for what we believe, whatever that is, and the balance of that with still willing to um, join with somebody who says, yeah, we might differ on these different respects, but we're still about this one common goal over here, which is, let's just say it's loving people well. We might, you know, there's, we're going to, and, and it, how much, there was so much effort being put into the theological argument, I wonder how little work of caring for others was not being done. And again, I don't have answers for this. I'm not, and I'm not going to sit here and judge one way or the other on that. It was just interesting reading about it, the two different viewpoints. Uh, the book I was reading was about Martin Lloyd Jones, who took more of the separatist uh, viewpoint of we should remove ourselves from this organization. Um, there was another preacher with the last name of Packer. Many, you know, old, uh, old. Christian ghetto people will probably know who I'm talking about who went more of the, no, I think we can join hands on this. And there was a, there were friendships there that were broken. Um, and uh, there was sadness involved in all of that. And it, it just, it, it actually, reading through that has had me thinking more, I've had more questions in my head, questions in my heart than I've had answers. Um, you know, I've thought about, uh, I've, I've been around Bible studies where there can be such an emphasis on theological accuracy, where I've watched somebody who's read all of the, you know, five-point Calvinists, and they've, re, you know, they've read every single one of Spurgeon's, you know, all of his messages, and, and they're diehard, but I've watched them when somebody was trying in a very elementary way, to the best of their understanding, trying to describe the, the Trinity where I've watched somebody with that, we're going to call it just that high level of study, turn around and berate somebody for trying to describe the Trinity as an egg. It's the best way that they can try to figure out this whole concept of God and spirit and, and Christ together. And and I it just made me wonder about sometimes our obsession with theological accuracy, uh, where we go with that, and maybe sometimes if it's a distraction from our true purpose, and and if we're missing a point, and I, man, I, I sure hope I don't get to heaven, and I've got to give a five-page report on the five points of Calvinism, or uh, a lot of this. Um, it, you know, I, I read another book uh, called The Imperfect Pastor. Uh, it's actually one of the few books I have on audio tape, and it's, it's, I highly recommend it. But um, it's about this guy who was a pastor, very successful, um, basically ended up getting fired, marriage fell apart, and ended up in a small-town church. And at one point he's talking about visiting a home 
of uh, a family, and there's a an, a an adult child living in the home with Down syndrome, and this person eating spaghetti, and the spaghetti's all over their face. I don't know why that sticks in my head, but and he he comes in, and she recognized that he was, we'll just say, a man of God, and all she knew was that. All she knew was that God loved her and one day was going to take her home. And she asked him if he would just pray with her. And the simplicity of that, of her theology, really struck him. And he found himself praying with her, with her spaghetti-covered hands. And it just, it was a learning experience for him. And... The faith of a child, like I, I, my perspective, I think sometimes we can overcomplicate some things. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, you know, there's a beautiful metaphor there, and uh, a lot of us, sometimes myself included, are afraid of spaghetti hands. Yeah, that that's uncomfortable and messy and uh, gross, and it's out of my comfort zone. And maybe that's why. The church has a tendency to focus on the theological implications of da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Because we're afraid of spaghetti hands? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and messy people yeah. who don't. When we don't have absolutely clear answers on how to love and how to be loving. So, so I have... This sense, okay, that if Jesus in in the person walked the earth today, returned to earth today, that all of his time would be spent like on the southern border of the United States, in the slums, in the hospitals. Almost none of it would be with the churches because there's way too much wacko stuff going on there to waste time on. When what we, what the message really is, is, is not that we have to believe rightly, but we have an opportunity to believe. And practice be more loving all the way around. Um, and we get lost. That gets lost. Well, I mean, you even touched on something. You're just When you say southern border right there, I'm sure some people's hackles just went sure. right up because... Um, I know in America, and I have friends um, who will assume where I am politically aligned based on my profession one way, shape, form, or another, and I've had to ask them to politely, please don't classify me with that um, one way or the other. I'm, and I'm like, I don't even want to get into that, but as soon as we bring up something like, oh, border crossings, oh, suddenly now we're now we've got division again on how we view that. Well, <laughs> oh my! Uh, let, let's let's actually 
let's look at where did Jesus go and who did he spend time with? If Jesus was walking the earth today and he made a beeline for the Buckley Tabernacle campus offices, I would run because he never approached uh, the pharisaical leaders with, let me give you a great message. Let me, let, me, let me perform miracles. He came and kicked their butts and said, you whitewashed tombs, right? You hypocrites. I mean, there's a great, how many times has he called them that? Uh, that would devastate me beyond uh, life to have Jesus do that. And I know that there's some things un- unintentionally, I hope, that, that we've done very incorrectly, um, you know, over the years. When it's brought to our attention, one of the things I've been proud of is we've tried really hard to own it um, and say it out loud, you know, from the stage. Um, you know, we made a mistake. Um, so churches should be afraid if Jesus comes back and starts walking up to their door. Well, I think the reality is, I think the, the core of Jesus' message to me, is that we have to change. We have to be willing to change. In the individual heart, in the family heart, in the community heart, in the national heart, we have to be willing to change. Huh. And what do we have to be willing to change? It reminds me, I was just going to scratch my ear with a head somehow. Uh, it reminds me of uh, my first experience in a 12-step meeting when they said, in order to recover, you have to be willing to change. What do you have to change? Everything. And my heart collapsed. I was like... But you don't have to change everything overnight. But you have to be willing to change. And it's when our churches are willing to change, and it's when our, as couples in a marriage, if both people are willing to work on changing, there is hope. If only one is willing to change, there is little hope. Because the the trick in a marriage is that both people absolutely believe they're right. And the fact is, they are. But good marriage isn't built on being right. Well, what did 1 Corinthians 13 talk about? Uh, Love does not insist on its own. uh, Yeah. 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 What love isn't, is mm-hmm. love is not insisting on my own way. Mm-hmm. Translation, uh, that I know that I'm right. Mm-hmm. There's no love in this. And, so, and we can take that to all levels. <clears throat> that is being a good American, spouting one particular w- way of believing about being American, or is it practicing cooperation with all those weird people who think differently than me? Or the Mexicans, heaven forbid, there seems to be a river that makes us different. 
or people around the world. And, and I think Jesus' message has always been there is one family. There is one family, and we're all in it. And they drive us nuts. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. So, Joe, you know, just to shift gears a little bit, uh, when last we talked, um, we left you on an orchard um, standing on a rock. Oh, yeah. And asking, whatever you are that I don't believe in, I need help. And that's actually a, um, it's just that picture mm -hmm. of crying out going, I, I know something needs to give. I know something needs to change. And I don't think I can do this. And then you said you received help, and you kept crying out and kept asking, and help kept coming, help kept coming. So you said, you've told me before, you know, hair down to my belt in the front, hair down to my belt in the back, um, and... And a nasty attitude. Okay, nasty attitude. And so, which is interesting when I, as I've getting, gotten to know you now, um, Quaker pastor, and this change, this this, this shift, um, this jumping forward from that those initial days of, okay, I'm going to try talking to this thing. I'm not quite sure what it is that I if I even believe in it, but it keeps seeming to answer. Um, first of all, what were some of those answers that you were getting? How did, what did that look like? So. So answers for me came, always seemed to come in connection to prayer. But it wasn't really limited all to prayer. It, um, it was, you know, at the same time I'm active in 12-step meetings, at the same time I'm trying to communicate with an extremely loving wife who seem to naturally understand the principles of loving, which I thought was really weird, <laughs> you know, because I really thought <coughs> loving was letting me do what I want and being okay with it. And, you know, it took me a while to realize that Truly loving people has to do with caring about how all of this affects them, including our differences. Um, but I experimented with prayer. I think we talked about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I experimented with prayer, and I, but I, but I read, I read C.S. Lewis. I read other things over time. And, and when I began, when we began as a family to go to church, it was as an experiment to see, because I knew at that point that there was something beyond me. And I also, I'm going to say knew, because really it's still I feel that way. I know for me the access to that 
um, spiritual power isn't based on me believing in the right thing, you know, or the proper thing, or fitting in with everybody else. It is in having a living relationship with whatever that is that seems to answer those and guide me on a regular basis. So that, you know, when I began to go to church again, and those old ladies opened that door that day, which I found really fascinating, because they didn't even know I was talking about them a couple years before. And they were very kind to me. And they let me ask all sorts of strange questions and just were very loving and very kind. And I don't want to go by that, that they were kind to you. Oh, yeah. That they let you ask all of the questions. And, <laughs> and I love the I fact love that they said— patient and kind. Yes. And, and, I, and I love that they, <laughs> they uh, asked you to move the table and then gave you a job. Yep. Well, we need you to do this <laughs> yep. and I had hair, every Sunday. And I had hair down to my back and yeah. a beard down to my— and, But that was somebody actually taking a moment and seeing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I participated and— and all my weird ideas and, I mean, you know, I was a guy that when I asked my wife to buy me a Bible, because I can't buy it myself, you know, because <laughs> I'm scared to be seen buying a Bible. Mm-hmm. What if somebody knows me, saw me? And my wife and daughter bought me a Bible with a red cover. The only Bibles I ever saw were black covers. <laughs> I didn't even know what the New Testament was or the Old Testament was. I didn't know the difference. People showed me and answered questions. And So um, just so we had the audience understand, so uh, you've been how, – how many years ago did you begin attending the Quaker church? Uh, roughly 38. Okay. So we're, we're coming up on 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so the average Quaker church, you walk in, it has uh, a lot of bells and whistles. It's black. It has a big stage. Uh, a pastor comes out with a mic. There's a great band. Mm-hmm. And the pastor <laughs> preaches for 50 minutes, and then you uh, all walk out silently. Is that, That's how it works, right? No. <laughs> oh, okay. That was facetious because I know. But explain a, a Although typical. there are— Yes, there, and are there, there, there are some that do that, but your particular one, right? Explain to us. So, so our church, which grew up out of uh, a feeling that we were supposed to start a new church, um, sort of follows the old traditions. Uh, we gathered together. It was. Meant to be at first three families, but somehow within a week or two, it expanded to more than that. But it was a group of families that gathered together, and anybody's welcome and has a responsibility to speak if they wish. Um, if 
they feel led to speak. Uh, we worship in the quiet um, and speak out of the quiet or sing out of the quiet. Or if they're singing, it's because somebody wants to sing. Uh, all are welcome to speak or sing or whatever else they want to do. Um, and we have been like that for the past 39 years or so. Okay. Do you guys uh, sit in rows? Do you sit in a circle? Do you? We have done it's it's done differently in, in each place. Okay. In our church, we try to, to get as close to a circle as we can. Yeah. We call that a Buckley circle when it's mm -hmm. not quite perfectly round. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 It just is whatever. So you, do you know, um, there's part of me that would like to do an experiment and start sending um, five people at a time from our congregation to go experience because I think their heads would blow up. They wouldn't know what to do with their hands. They would probably sweat like mad sitting in a meeting with silence, number one, um, not having a script necessarily to follow. Now, none of these are bad. I mean, the, the way we run services are uh, we do the uh, Sunday service, we call it with excellence, uh, to try to take away distraction. Um, that, that's, that's our mingle. We want people to hear Jesus, not us, um, and co connect spiritually. But there's other ways to do that. Um, and we are stuck sometimes in a mold. Well, and, and how you described how people would feel, and I, I agree with you, uh -huh. uh, it is how people feel when they worship with us for the first time. But I would also suggest that that's pretty much how we feel when we come to worship with you. That was yeah. my next question yes. was, yeah. you, you know, you and Linda came for the first time here some time ago. Um, what, what was your feeling, um, maybe Linda's feeling, walking in and sitting down? I know the music was too loud and we've adjusted that. You guys have uh, headphones now, um, which is wonderful. But what was yeah. the experience like? Well, it it was and is still to a degree. It's a, it's a very different form. But we have l learned from the experience that God's not in the form. God's in our hearts. Yes. And, and we're able to worship here as well <coughs> as we are, you know, wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the key, I believe, is that it's not the form that makes the issue. It's, the form is just what you're used to. Yeah. You yeah, know? it is. It is. And, you know, but that sometimes we get used to the wrong thing, you know. Um, and Well, all of us. Yeah. Uh, w it's very simple for me to get there, too. Uh you know, I, I think how many times in counseling I've been told about what, you know, Tim, you do that because uh, the way you grew up, that was, it's actually called the survival mechanism. And you're not dumb because you do it. Actually, it's pretty brilliant. Uh, it was a great way to stay safe, right? Um, but maybe now as an adult, it's time to choose something different. And, you know, that uh, childish versus adult behavior, um, you know, that does not have to do with age. Um, and, you know, you talked about 
going into AA and having to change all of your heart, you know, to change everything. Uh, isn't it miraculous? At least my experience has been God reveals something new to me about me that I could choose to change when I'm ready to deal with it uh, rather than piling it all on at once. Mm-hmm. You know, I've often thought of it like I have this huge garbage bin above my head of all of the stuff I've created. Uh, and he doesn't just like open the door and let it all fall on me because it crushed me. Um, he, he lets a little out at a time, but he's also loving enough to know, I think you're ready to deal with this now. Um, so anybody out there looking to make a change? That, that fear, yeah, it feels overwhelming. But what AA, the church, Jesus, Joe, Ben, John, others have taught me is, now sometimes it's just whelming. It, it, it's not overwhelming. Just a whelming feeling. And we can do this. You know, uh, we, we can make these changes. And I think that, it, it, I don't think there's just one way to worship. No. I'm not. I think that unfortunately our society sort of pressures us to build things that sort of look alike so that people feel more comfortable. But feeling more comfortable doesn't necessarily mean learning or or developing healthy habits. I, a friend of mine who was a part of a big church uh, brought his family one time to worship with us. And um, afterwards, um, I said, so how was it for you? And he said, well, I realized about three quarters of the way through the worship period that this is not a performance. This is a participation. And we'll never be back. Okay. So, if what you're, if we're honest enough with ourselves to look at and ask the question, what are we looking for? And then takes responsibility for that. You know, if what I want is some nice place to go and listen to what's going on and be struck with the beauty or whatever. So if you go to, like, um, I have been, and I was part of a wedding that was in uh, Greek Orthodox. Uh, which is full of ceremony and and gilded costumes and those kinds of things. And my head was swimming in all of this stuff. But when my head stopped swimming, I realized, okay, wait. That's not the meat. The meat is the relationship. Okay, we do that. You know, we do that, whether it's 
in this guilt-filled church or whether it's in the field sitting on horses or whether it's on the boat, the ferry to the, to the out highlands or in a Quaker church or in a, the Buckley church or wherever. Um, those things don't make it what it is. We are the ones, you know, who make it what it is. And then we're all right. Then. So I had a friend who was a Catholic. I have numbers of friends and who are Catholic. And, <coughs> and this friend married into somebody who was Catholic. And, and he asked me one time over coffee. He, he said, when I go to church, I don't understand the sit up, sit up. Or sit down, stand up, kneel down, all that stuff. I said, so what do you do when that's going on? He said, well, I pray. I said, well, just keep doing what you're doing. Can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, really, I'm going to church, not an exercise Can't class, right? Can't go wrong, yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong. Yeah. What would Jesus want you to do? Jesus yeah. would want you to pray. Whether... There's a lot of music going on and... Tons of wonderful musicians or sitting in the silence or mm -hmm. all the time in between. Yeah. You know, from from my perspective, an admission is uh, when Heidi and I travel, I don't go to church. And there's a reason I don't go to church because I judge like mad when I'm there. <laughs> and I'll sit wherever I'm sitting. And I'm either envious and taking notes of things we could do um, or I'm like, I cannot believe their transitions. You know, the music is ringing. It's hurting my ear. Whatever. I, I can't. There, there's no worship involved at all. And so I stay home. And usually sitting by one of my relatives' pool, having coffee and a cigar, and I'm worshiping right there. Um, you know, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, when I think about myself and the – because – that starts a really slippery slope when I'm there, and it tells me where my heart's at. Um, and usually vacation, I have to have like three weeks before I really start relaxing, and maybe I could worship again. Um, but I'm coming off on a high-stress job and blah, blah, blah. <coughs> so uh, I, I had been thinking um, about some friends of ours from, from years ago that were involved in a church split. And during that church split, it was uh, – I think it was a Baptist church. I'm not. I, it doesn't really matter. Um, but it was. Can you lose your salvation? Once saved, always saved. Or can you lose your salvation? And I'm thinking, well, that's a really ludicrous question. I wouldn't even know where to begin on that. But it began this infighting that eventually uh, destroyed a, a church. Um, and the question that I finally came up with later was. How susceptible am I to that? Um, because when I'm judging, I'm going, well, I would never do that. Yeah, baloney. Um, I haven't been in that circumstance yet. Um, there are certain things I feel I would fight for maybe to the death. I don't know. But 
if Jesus says they will know you by your love, so imagine going to that church and sitting in on a meeting, kind of like a fly on the wall, watching the disdain and the hatred that's going back and forth over this theological point that I don't, it's like how many angels fit on the head of a pin, you know, who really cares? Uh, and is there an earthly answer or not? And um, the danger that I realize I have is a propensity because you know my personality a little bit. And if I get my foot stuck somewhere, it's going to stay there. Um, and, and God's been teaching me that. I don't want that to be the case. And so isn't it simple? Um, it, no. Yeah. It's not easy, but it's simple that I just measure whether I, there's love in it or not. Right. Um, Joe, why is that so difficult to keep at the forefront of my mind? Like I go through the day and it's like, I want that. Ben and I had, but we're just talking about something like this in his office a couple of days ago. Where in the heck did it go? How come it's not there? How come I have to become aware again? I think because we're human. I think it's part of the human condition. And I think that, that our relationship with God is always, it's alive. It's real. It's alive. That doesn't mean it's perfect because we're not perfect. Uh, I'm, I'm chuckling because I was reminded the last time we did this, you mentioned that when you first met me, you were really impressed that I couldn't sing. <laughs> and, and that phrase that you used had been ringing in my ears ever since, you know, because that's the way we are as human beings. If somebody says something that seems negative, you know, we can carry that around. Or somebody says something that's different than what we do, we can carry that around for a long time. Or, and where do we draw the line? Where do we stand and where do we not? It's, I don't think it's where. I think it's how. You know, I can worship anywhere if I don't get caught in the feeling that I have to agree with everything everybody else is saying. If I have to agree with everything everybody else is saying, I can't worship anywhere. Right. You know? So it's reminding myself of that and, and realizing it's okay for me to be just who I am. It's okay for me when I'm on vacation to not go to worship or to go. But if I'm going to go, it's not going to help me to go and be judgmental. You know? if, and, and if I'm going to go and be judgmental, I'm better off going to the beach or sitting with a cigar or whatever. But it's a practice thing, as is loving. You know, Jesus didn't require us to be perfectly loving. Mm -hmm. Thankfully. You know, God, (laughs) he required, he asks us, invites us to be humanly progressing in our love. I, I had a dream, and I might have mentioned this last time. I don't remember. And if I did, tell me. But I had a dream one time, really weird dream. It was early in my 
Christian experience and worshiping among the Christians. I love how you phrase that. (laughs) Well, because I don't like, I'm not really comfortable with making that. This one's a Christian, this one's not. Because I really do believe people who are loving are behaving like Christ. And that was the point in the first place. Uh, But it's, and so, and uh, I had this dream, and it was awful, and it was amazing at the same time. And I had died, and I was in front of the judge, okay, the big one, you know. And did I talk about this before? Okay. So, and all it is on the, you know, behind the judge's bench was this light that was so bright that you couldn't see anything except there was sort of an outline, but you couldn't really tell what it was. And it was glaring, bright, bright. And on the other side of the aisle, there were three guys standing up in three-piece suits, and they were the prosecutors. And they were all talking at the same time, and they were listing for the big one. They were listing all my faults from the past and from today. And they were all talking at the same time, and it was sort of overwhelming. And they were being accurate. (laughs) You know, they weren't saying anything that wasn't true. And on my side, there was me. There's no defense attorney with slick talk trying to explain, well, he's not that bad, you know. There's me, and there's the three prosecutors, and this whole thing is going on and on and on. And then suddenly, in comes this raggedy character. You know, he's he's looking. He has a beard. He has long hair. He's kind of unkempt. He's not even wearing shoes. And he walks down the aisle between the two, and the prosecutors are, and then he raises his hand, and the prosecutors go silent, and this figure says, this isn't necessary, he's one of mine, and he turns around and he walks away. That was the dream. And I thought, whoa, what is this? This is, and I'm a person who believes dreams don't necessarily have meaning, they're just weird, (laughs) you know? But obviously, something is attempting to answer in me that question. Is it possible for somebody as with like me, with all faults and all that history? Because that history, I can't erase that history. 
Now, let me say something. That, that statement I just made, I can't erase that history. That's not necessarily true. I mean, it's true that I can't change it. It happened. It was real. But over these years, what has strangely happened to both my wife and I is that we are daily reminded that we are loved in this community. We're loved by people who have known us over the past 42 years and some before. Um, why? Because spiritually we have and continue to be changing. And when people have the courage to face the need to change, the world changes around them. And uh, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So today at 80 years old, I am happier than I have ever been in my entire life. Even though I still can't control all the things that are happening around and all the <coughs> weird people who think are, they need to be different than me. <laughs> and, and we find ourselves able to worship in a whole bunch of churches and be perfectly fine. Even though they all have a little, are a little strange, including us, including. <coughs> yeah. 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 You know, as you were telling that story, I was really. Um, you're a very good storyteller, number one, and you're telling the story of the dream. Um, obviously, you know, I'm, well, I'm maybe not obviously, but for me, it's like, okay, there's Jesus came walking in, um, hippie Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Which, in my sense, makes sense for you, that that may be a picture of who you would be. And the judge, you know, uh, because by admission, you've stood before judges. Mm -hmm. And I love that the prosecuting attorneys all had three-piece suits. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the dangerous part is they're all speaking at the same time, so it's overwhelming. But you said they're all speaking truth. Mm -hmm. Um, so Jesus is uh, somebody who recommends to us over and over and over to seek truth. Um, unfortunately, for a long time, I thought that meant truth in the world instead of truth of self. And some, some of those most dynamic changes that God has allowed me has been when I've sought that truth for myself. So we fear that, I think, um, as humans. And sometimes I think we believe that there's something very unique about us that would include some unique type of badness um, that others hadn't experienced, were the worst of, whatever. Um, you know, and, and we know that's not true. But 
When you're counseling someone who is saying, hey, I'm a Christian, um, there's got to be some area, Joe, that is uh, it may, maybe you do 10 Christian individuals or couples. There's got to be some commonality there and some barrier to overcome, um, maybe just because of their faith, maybe how they've grown up. I, I, I don't know. Um, personally, I really like it when somebody comes in that has no clue about Jesus or Scripture that I get to spend time with, and there seems to be a little bit more ability to be honest, um, in, in my experience anyways. Uh, and they're, they're, they're open to um, exploring suggestions and, and places with that, that they might improve. A lot of times I felt that Christian people that I have been counseling are substantially more rigid um, and maybe even more afraid of the abject truth about themselves for fear of letting others down. I don't know what the, what the deal is. Have you had that type of experience as well? And what warning would we give um, to those out there that are, that are Christian that are saying, hey, but this, something's not right? Well, I think, I think the issue is uh, whether a person is a Christian or whether a person is not a Christian. If you're going to go to counseling, then the only really helpful way to go to counseling is to go being willing to do some changing. If you're not willing to do changing, then what you do when you go to counseling is you find other kind of justifications for being right. And that rarely brings you any positive place okay. in counseling. So, so the thing that Christians, in my experience— tend to do is they tend to use the Christian language to prove their level of sanctity kind of stuff. And it becomes a major barrier um, to change. And and when people start to lay that down, then, then wonderful, wonderful things mm-hmm. can happen. But a great many people go to go to counseling with absolutely no intention to change, just to have somebody to hear how right they actually are. So, yeah. And that doesn't tend to. Yeah. yeah. And the, you said that very well. Um, you know, the, the willingness to change. Um, I've had numerous times when I really have been baffled, even though from the exterior it's probably really obvious but from the interior, I'm totally baffled, and I, I could pass a lie detector test. Now, why in the heck is it this way? Um, and naturally, I want it to be, you know, Ben's fault or your fault or Heidi's fault, um, so I don't have to change. I guess. Uh, no, no, that is it. Yeah, that's why we do that. Is because we don't. We want to be affirmed in what we believe, and the other person needs to do the changing mm-hmm. to make us happy. What's, yeah. the, what's the saying? The two things in the world that really piss me off is the way things are and change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, have, have worked with some people, you know, a couple of times and then finally it's like, uh, you're welcome to make another appointment. But uh, the rate went up to $150 an hour um, <laughs> because you just want me to listen to you complain. Uh, and I will do so. Um, but 
uh, because it's a joy when you know. I just tell Tim to keep putting it on my tab. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's Checks just in the mail. <laughs> it's just uh, you know when when I see change happen um, for someone uh, that's that maybe has gone through something really really tough, um, legitimate, hard, uh, and they're very vulnerable and they're very. They're in a weakened condition, and they somehow find the courage. And there's just nothing that makes my boat float more than to, you know, go home. And it's like, wow, I got to see God work. Um, on my bad days, I go, wow, I did well. Uh, but that's BS, you know, that, that really is. Uh, but on, on, my, on my good days, seeing God work in that, I've seen some of the strongest um, actions and some of the most courageous actions come from people that would not typically be considered those descriptive words. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been surprising. Uh, and it's reminded me of uh, where Jesus went, you know, when he was, who, who he, who he ministered to. Um, the successful ones were very few and far between uh, in my, in my opinion. Um, and the the courage that was happening in Jesus's time was, and, and it was all through love, was how he encouraged them. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think about the process of change. The idea that it's going to be some simple, well, I'll just do it differently. I'll just think about things differently. And... I thought I knew at one point in time what that meant. But then there comes a point or there came a point for me where I realized no, I'm not I'm I'm really not changing. And then the the process of going about being number 1 open to that and then plumbing the depths of what that really means. The being terrified by that. And then I find for me my experience has been that it is a very, very slow, painful, terribly humbling process where I look back a year and the amount of ground that has been gained <laughs> is not near the yardage that I thought it was going to be. Uh, maybe the self-help the whole thing just you know makes it sound very light and easy and all of that. And <clears throat> it's work. It is work. It's it's fighting that battle within, um, and I'm just grateful that there is a Creator. That every day that we are allowed to come, that we are invited to come and say, "I'm going to need help with this again." My heart's still stony in this area, and. I'll try to do better today, but I'm going to need your help, and I'm probably not going to do that much better. But those drops in a bucket do add up. Change is not easy. That's been my experience. Well, something just happened in here, in here, I guess, just in the past few minutes, was I had the realization that uh, back to that thing of if Jesus walked the earth today, Jesus, too much hassle to try and do anything in the churches because they're so locked into their own thing. 
Well, I had this realization that Jesus met me on the street. Oh, wow. Joe, the same thing can be said about you as being said about the church. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, and that's why we're so afraid of really building an intimate spiritual relationship as opposed to building our own little booth that has its own um, ways of doing things and seeing things and talking about things. <laughs> because as much as I have changed, and I have, um, Wow, I still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. But along with that, there's another realization is that I don't have to get there to be loved. Yes. That I was loved when it all started. I was loved before it started. I was loved when I was a crazy biker, you know, and I'm, as are all the crazy bikers. And politicians. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to throw some levity in there. Yeah, no, no. no. But, you know, as are all the people that think very different than me, uh, we're all loved. And we all, all are invited to change, to make it real or to make it more real So to us. When... Uh, Sin entered the world. I just—I was just thinking about this. I've never really thought about it this way. But, uh, you know, God comes to the garden and says, Adam, where are you? You know, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Uh, and they have a, and, they, and then we find out that I never thought of the ludicrousness of this is that they, they made garments out of fig leaves. Um, because being laid bare, it, you know, metaphorically today, you know, I don't want us to all strip down. Uh, but we can strip down uh, – in our heart and in our soul. Um, and that's incredibly frightening. But so many times it just, it, it's like from the outside, it's like, man, you're just wearing a fig leaf over that. Um, and actually, that's really silly. Uh, I can say that to you. If you say that to me, um, then I might not like you for a minute, right? <laughs> or, uh, or hour. Yeah, could go there too. But isn't that, <clears throat> I, I mean, that's just that, that picture in, in yeah. You know, for me, knowing how susceptible I can be to that, then maybe that helps me um, carry the message of love one step further um, and offer assistance if somebody desires, but then loving them where they're at um, sometimes can be frustratingly uh, difficult, yet it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, loving somebody where they're at. Um, yeah. That, so we're getting – Close to the end here, Joe. I want to ask you one last question. Okay. But did you have a, a reply? Well, Go for I, it. I wanted to say something in yes. response to that. Yeah. That for years I have talked with people about, okay, why are we sitting here wearing clothes? Because it's cold. Beyond that. <laughs> beyond that. Why are we wearing clothes? We're wearing clothes because we believe we look better. Why are we forming theologies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because we believe it makes us look better. Mm -hmm. 
where what brings us home is us being honest about who we are you know, and what we really believe and what we're willing to change. Okay, that's, that's beautiful. Thanks. Um, final question is, uh, and we could spend an hour on this, but we don't have that much time. So uh, what does uh, go and preach the gospel mean to you? in a practical application. I think you've answered a lot of that through the course of this, but if maybe succinctly to the best of your ability. It, it, it's not what we say. It's how we behave in the world is preaching the gospel. Well said. Well said. What an experience this has been. <laughs> Gentlemen. It, yeah, I love you. this time. Uh, yeah. I, I really do. It, yeah. It's hard to believe that as much time has flown by as it has. <laughs> um, this has been a tremendous gift to me. Oh, thank you. Thank and, you. Well, it has for us as well. Um, uh, yeah, and I think we're going to call that uh, complete, at least for now. Yeah, yeah, um, we're coming back uh, later, uh, probably with a maybe a little different topic. Yeah, sounds um, good. You know, but, um, I, I think I'm wondering if we could just, uh, like, come back and spend – Maybe an hour just analyzing Matt, our producer. We could have him on. Well, um, Matt's perfect him. as he is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've already established that. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Matt, for uh, for joining us and doing this today. He yeah, runs the you. world and doesn't speak. What? What better person could you possibly imagine being? <laughs> wow, Joe, go on. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, so Tabernacle family, thank you for tuning into this uh, podcast. Uh, as always, uh, if this podcast uh, meant something to you, uh, if you know somebody might benefit from listening to this, please feel free to share it. Otherwise, you can like, subscribe, do all of the social media things uh, that are in part of the algorithms that, frankly, I really don't care about, but <laughs> I'm supposed to say that. Uh, but yeah, thank you for tuning in and, uh, we are looking forward to having you with us next time, uh, for the Tabernacle podcast. This is Joe, Tim, Matt, and me, Ben Brown, and we are out of here. Mm-hmm.